Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You're probably familiar with the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Sound familiar to anyone? Goldilocks. Enticed by the bowls of porridge cooling on their table, Goldilocks, you know, wanders into the home of the three bears and she makes herself at home. She tries each of the bowls of porridge until she finds the one that isn't too hot, the one that isn't too cold, but the one that is just right. And then she eats it, all of it. And then she decides that she needs to go sit by the fire, so she tests out the chairs by the fire, and she finds one that's too hard, one that's too soft, and then she finds the one that is just right. And she sits in it, until she finds that she's a bit tired and in need of a nap, and like all good squatters, she goes upstairs to find a bed to take a nap in, And she finds one that's too hard, one that's too soft, and the one that is just right she lays in to take a nap. And that's where the three bears find her when they return to their home after having let their porridge cool so that they could eat it. Finding a comfortable bed can be a challenge. We were away after Thanksgiving in Santa Cruz, and we slept in the hardest bed ever. I don't mean to complain, but it was uncomfortable. And uh, it wasn't, we we had rented a house, so it wasn't like we could just go down to the front desk and uh, complain. So we suffered through five nights in Santa Cruz until we could get home to our very comfortable bed that is just right. Just right. And it isn't just right by accident. I can tell you that when we were shopping for a bed, we lay on many beds in the showroom. Some were too hard. Some were too soft. They were all too expensive. (laughs) And then Robin decided which one was just right. And that's the bed we sleep in. It is just right I've come to learn. (laughs) Finding a comfortable bed is not easy. Our reading from Isaiah begins with the words of comfort. Comfort from God to God's people. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. But Isaiah, my friends, is not talking about a comfortable night's sleep. Like the advertisements for new mattresses do. What is the markup on mattresses? Does anybody know? It's like, how can we have so many mattress stores? It doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, Isaiah is not talking about the comfortability of sleeping. Instead, he is trying to give assurance to people that need to hear it. To need to hear that everything will be okay and that things will, in fact, get better. Our reading comes from what is known as Isaiah 2, or the second part of Isaiah. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are commonly referred to as 1st Isaiah, and their focus is on 
the time prior to the conquering of Jerusalem and the, the destruction of the temple in 586 BC. During those first 39 chapters, Isaiah speaks a word of warning to the Israelites, warning that there will be judgment for their behavior. Because you see, the Israelites lived right there in Jerusalem looking up at the temple. And yet they didn't worship Yahweh regularly. They began to turn to other gods and to live their lives as though Yahweh wasn't important. And they began to turn and place their faith and confidence in things of the world instead of God. And second Isaiah, which begins with chapter 40, where our reading comes from, was written for the time after Jerusalem, after Judah had been conquered by the Babylonians and the people had been taken in to exile. And it's to a people who have been removed from their homes and their land, who are living as exiles, that the prophet is speaking these words of hope and encouragement, these words of comfort. Now this would have been a difficult message for the people who are essentially refugees to not only hear, but to take to heart. How could a people who have lost everything find comfort in the words of the prophet? I think it's because the words themselves don't provide the comfort. It is the speaker of the words who does. Comfort, oh comfort, on its own might sound like the refrain from one of those mattress commercials that hold no true promises that there is a reason for hope of a better night's sleep. But when Isaiah says, comfort, oh comfort, my people, says, your God, Isaiah declares that Yahweh is once again claiming God's people as God's own. They had turned their back on God. They had worshiped other gods. They had paid the price for their indiscretions. They had been in captivity for 39 years. They, they were not in Jerusalem. And Isaiah speaks these words of comfort and in doing, he claims the people as his own again. He reminds them of the covenant that he had made with their ancestor Abram when God said, you will be my people and I will be your God. Comfort, oh comfort, my people, says your God. These words would have been reassuring to a people who had turned their backs on Yahweh, who were enduring the judgment that they had earned through their own misconduct and violent deeds. In verse 2 of our reading, we read that Jerusalem has paid her term and her penalty is paid. As though Isaiah is announcing that their time out is over. You can come back to play in Jerusalem. They've endured their punishment, so now they're invited back. Back into a relationship with God and ultimately back to Jerusalem where they will endeavor to restore their community and to rebuild the temple. Our reading goes on. In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, a voice cries out. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. When we read these words during Advent, we hear them as referring to Jesus, and rightly so. They, in fact, do refer to Jesus, but our original hearers in the 6th century B.C. 
would have understood that these words were referring to God's relationship with God's chosen people there in Babylon coming back to Jerusalem. And the direct route from Babylon to Jerusalem would have been through the Syrian desert, and that's what's being described here. Now, it's unlikely that the exiles on their way back to Jerusalem would have traveled through the Syrian desert. They would have gone around. But this is the most direct route. So perhaps it literally or metaphorically describes how Yahweh came with the people or ahead of the people from Babylon back to Jerusalem to live their lives and to join with them once again. These words represent a new beginning for the Israelites. Like the rainbow after the flood, they are a promise of a new life, lived in relationship with the Creator. The old life is over. We're not in exile anymore. A new life is about to begin. The old life is like the grass in our reading. Its constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of the Lord our God will stand forever. And the word, my friends, became flesh. The word became flesh and lived among us as we read in John chapter 1. And that's what we are preparing to celebrate this Advent season. The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us for the promise of comfort that was made to the exiles by the prophet Isaiah is also being made to us through the birth of Jesus Christ. For we too were exiled from God as a result of our sin, but God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ so that we might serve the term, so that Jesus instead might serve the term that we deserve, that he might be exiled as we should have been exiled with those in Jerusalem. And this is why the prophet John the Baptist, like Isaiah before him, would prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness outside of Jerusalem. From there he called people to a time of repentance and preparation to a time that they might prepare to receive the one who was to come after him, the one who he said he was unworthy of carrying his sandals. So when the prophet says, get up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings, lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of God, here is your God. Here is your God. Isaiah there is declaring good, the good news that is to come, that a Savior would be born, and that God would redeem God's creation and restore all of our relationships with God. But God also challenges them and us to proclaim to the cities of Jerusalem and to the cities of all nations that here is your God. It's not enough just to hear this, but, but instead we need to proclaim it. Here is your God in order that others might hear and receive the good news of Jesus Christ. For Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We read it about it by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy. Came into the world to save sinners, and then Paul confesses he himself 
is the foremost sinner. So it is to sinners that we should proclaim, here is your God. To sinners like those who lived in Jerusalem and have been taken into captivity. To sinners like you and like me. Here is your God. Your God is here in the breaking of the bread and the blessing of the cup. It is here that the love of God that was revealed in the Christ child is received by those of us who believe in him and place our trust in the words of comfort and hope that Jesus has indeed given himself as a ransom for many. That although he was perfect in every way, Jesus gave his life as an atonement for our sins in order that we might have new life in him. Jesus has paid the price. He's endured the exile. He has served the term that sinners like you and I deserve. And as a result, we can take comfort. Comfort in the good news that God's love is not too hard. God's love is not too soft. No, God's love is just right just right for our redemption, just right for our salvation, just right for our new life in him. So let us cry out as the prophet did. Let us lift our voices with strength as we become the heralds of good tidings, not only to Jerusalem, but to all the world. Comfort, O oh comfort my people, says your God. The, the comforter himself and our redeemer. For he, my friends, he, my fellow sinners, is your God. Amen.